Let us pray together. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to open up your word and just to learn from you. Father, as we've been studying Ephesians, there's been so many great truths. And I pray that these truths would just take root in our hearts, God. Father, we thank you for all you're doing in our personal lives and our families. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing Arden first. We ask and pray, Father, as we look into your word, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would bless your word. And we give this service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you just joining us, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And I don't know about you guys, but this study has really um, enhanced my walk with the Lord. And it's just great to see who you are in Christ, to look at the scriptures and know that in Christ you are holy, in Christ you are loved. In Christ, you're accepted, you're adopted, you've got a new destiny, he's got an amazing plan for your life, you can just go on and on. So when you read those verses, it's just like, wow, thank you God that you have a glorious plan. Have you ever thought that, you know, God has a glorious plan, but some some days aren't so glorious? Any of you guys ever just had a really bad day, terrible, bad, no good day? Well, Thursday this past week is one of those terrible, bad days. No good days for me. So I had taken the day off to go um, vacation to visit uh, my father-in-law, John, which he sends you greetings. He's uh, having cancer treatment right now, and he's doing okay. So they thank you for your prayers and your cards. They said they've never seen a church family that's reached out to them so much as you guys do everyone else, and that's such a blessing. So the day started off. I, I had a few chores to get done, and uh, one of those was to get the trash out and get those cleared out for the weekend. So as I was starting to load things up, uh, Lori and I got into a little mild disagreement. Well, it got a little heated. And um, for those of you who think your pastor is lives in a glass bowl and never has any challenges, well, maybe the story will help correct that. Um, the, the funny thing is, though, how many of you were here Wednesday night? Does anybody remember what I talked about Wednesday night? How to navigate conflict and stress and... Uh, I joked with my wife, I said, part of it was you had to feed the baby, so you only heard half the message, so that's why we got in a fight. Just kidding. <laughs> and uh, so we got in a little tiff, and, you know, uh, so I went, I went to go take the trash out. I'm like, well, I'm going to take the trash out, let, let things, you know, part of the lesson was give it time for emotions to calm down, and so I'm, I was, I, I don't know if I was practicing the point or not, but, it, you know, I, I got, got away, taking out the trash, and... The, the van was completely loaded up with trash because we don't have a truck and we have to, we live out in the country so we have to go to the dump and the next thing that happened was the dump was closed and I'm like, oh great. So I go to drive to another trash place and I can't find it. I'm running late and also our library books have been late. We owe the library. You ever have late library fees? So now I'm like, and I didn't have time to drop those off and I'm like, well, someone's got to support the local library so maybe our late fees will help them out. Um, so by the time I get home, I have to unload the, the van with all the trash and uh, put the library books back until we could take them back. And I'm running late for Atlanta. And how many of you have ever been in Atlanta during the 4 o'clock rush hour? 5 o'clock, okay. So you know where I'm going with this. So I take my two daughters with me, Kira and Noel, and we're, we're like, we've got to beat this rush hour traffic. Well, due to the late start and everything, we're rushing through. I cut my face in the process, little, little, not, not bad, but a little, little cut. We're getting out the door, 
And as we're heading out, sure enough, we get caught in the rush hour traffic. To make matters worse, my daughters have an emergency bathroom stop. And I'm stuck in traffic. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Lori's not here. She usually handles that type of thing. So we finally get through. We get to Atlanta. Uh, we go visit John and Lori, start unpacking my bags. I reach in to get uh, my bathroom products, and I have this old-school shaver. And somehow when I reached it, it slipped my finger. And I'm just like, this is one of those no-good, very bad days. And um, I could go in more detail, but I'll spare you the details. But anyone else ever have a day like that where whatever could go wrong does go wrong? Well, I had one of those days. And the message today is about God's glorious plan. And even when you have a bad day, it still doesn't erase that God is still good. And even when life throws you a curveball, it still doesn't negate the fact that God's still in charge. So as we read these scripture, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 13. I want you to internalize this, that even when life is tough, even when you have bad days, sometimes even when you have conflict... And I know no one else in here has had conflict, right? Um, These verses will really stick with you. So let's look at Ephesians 3, and we're going to read the first 13 verses, and then I'm going to give you seven wonderful truths about God's glorious plan. We're going to start in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. By the way, prisoner sounds like a pretty bad day to begin with, right? If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me for you, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. This is the mystery, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, now listen to the humility here, who am less than the least of all the saints. So he's basically saying, I'm the least of all the Christians. This grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, That from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. To the intent, uh, I know verse 10, this is really intriguing verse. To the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and the powers and the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness. And access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. May God bless his word. So here you have Paul written, writing from a Roman prison. And really you think about someone that's talking about grace and God's blessing. And you don't think about someone writing from prison talking about how good God is, right? So what does Paul see that we, we sometimes miss? What does he see that sometimes when we're having a bad week or a bad day or health is acting up? What does he see? Well, I think there's seven wonderful truths about God's glorious plan. The first one is this. Jesus desires to rescue those who are far from God. 
verse 1, notice it says, This reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. You notice that Paul is a prisoner, but I find it intriguing. He doesn't say a prisoner of Rome. He always says a prisoner of Christ. And I think the reason for that is it was because of Jesus that he was doing this. It wasn't because of Rome. And it was under God's will and authority that he was in prison, not because the Romans happened to arrest him. He was like, this is God's sovereign plan. And even though I may be bound, the word of God is never bound. And even though I may be chained, the word of God is not chained. But Paul's heart, when it comes down to it, was to reach those who are far from Christ. And I feel like that should be our life mission, no matter what happens, if it's a bad day or if it's a good day. If your health is good or if your health is struggling, if the finances are good or the finances are bad, no matter what the circumstances, if your mission is to reach those far from God, you will always have an audience. Amen? No matter where you're at. So Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And once the lost become found, the found are to go and seek the lost as well. We're to go and rescue the lost. And um, sometimes in ministry I have different experiences, not... Not every experience is having a nice cup of coffee at a coffee shop. Some ministry experiences is going to, into a, like a smoke-filled room. I still remember this one, one place I went in to do a visit. It was like this place of work where I went in and like everyone is smoking and it's like, and I'm like, I hope you're smoking what I think you are. This is, you know, it was, a, it was one of those situations. And you leave the place completely smelling different than when you came in. But you know, I've heard a pastor needs to smell like his sheep, right? And um, so certain situations when you're in a hospital bed and someone's dying, you know, what do you do in those situations? Well, if your heart is for people and your heart is to reach those who are far from God and your heart is to love those who are near to God, then you know what? No matter what, that's a glorious truth that helps you. So Paul's like, even though I'm in prison, you know, it's for you. It's for you Gentiles. It's for people that need to know God. The second glorious truth, number two is God empowers us with grace to minister to those who need it the most. I heard this story of this little girl, and she was getting ready to have her birthday party. You know how little girls get all peppy when it's birthday time. And one thing that she asked her mom is her mom had these ugly, scarred hands. And she said, Mother, all my friends are coming over the house. Do you mind covering up those, those hands? She didn't want to use the word ugly and scarred, but her mother just had really bad-looking hands. So her mom said, sure, I'll be glad to do so. So the time of the birthday came, and all the little girls came in, and all the friends. And the mother, as mothers do, she was so quickly busy serving the cake, she forgot the gloves, and she began to serve the cake with those hands. And the little girl was so embarrassed. Later that day, she was pouting, and instead of celebrating the good time she had her birthday, she was upset at her mom for not wearing the gloves. And the mother told her a story that she had never said before. She said, honey, do you know why my hands are scarred? Do you know why my hands are ugly? And she said, no, mom, I have no idea. I've just always known your hands uh, didn't look like any normal people's hands. And she said, whenever you were a baby, the house called a flame. And I had to go in your room and go through the flames to rescue you. And I shielded you with these hands. And as I rescued you, my hands got charred by the flames. And these hands are the way they are because I, I rescued you. And the little girl's response was so amazing. She started kissing her mother's hands. And she, from that moment on, 
began to love the scarred hands. And you know, when you read this scripture about God's grace and how Jesus rescued us so that we could rescue others, you view his scarred hands a little bit differently. You think about, look at verse 2. It says, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God given to me for you. Paul's saying, listen, you know, God has given grace to me so that I can be graceful to others. Did you know Christians should be the most graceful people there are on the planet? Because if you've been changed and transformed by God's grace, we should, we should have that towards others. And we should love on others. The word dispensation, if you want to write, uh, underline that in your notes, it literally means in the original language, household management. In ancient times, this was used of a person who was over the estate of a large house or a business, and they would distribute the wealth of that household or the goods of the business to people within that household or that business. So what Paul's saying is, God has made me a minister of grace, and it's my job to dispense the riches of his grace to everyone I meet. Any of you guys ever had those little Pez dispensers growing up that had the candy in? You know, anybody collect those? You know, a thought occurred to me, is, is, as any, any kid loves candy, you would take the Pez dispenser and, you know, have that little piece of candy. You know, there's Pez dispensers, but there's also grace dispensers. And what we're to do is be so full of God's grace, His sweetness, His goodness, that we have an ever unlimited supply of God's grace. So the people who are the hardest to love usually need it the most, right? So we've got to ask God to help us, be graceful. And here's just a few ways of applying that. The first thing is it gives me graceful, it gives me grace to be graceful to those who don't have grace. So think about people who work with you, people who live near you, people in your family. Uh-oh. When they need grace, God help us to be graceful. And we all fall short of that. God needs to help us. Another another application of this is everyone that we lays we, we lay our eyes on is someone for whom Christ died. So if you view people through those lens, everyone I meet is someone that Jesus died for. Doesn't that help you change the way you look at people? And then also I think there's a future tense that, you know, this person may not be a Christian, but if God gets a hold of them and they receive him, they're going to be a different person. So it allows us to have grace. And notice it talks about the working of God's power. The word working here is the same word which we get our word energy from. So a lot of you think, man, I don't have enough energy, enough stamina, whatever. Well, if you start becoming a grace dispenser and God begins flowing through you, he gives you a spiritual stamina, a a spiritual energy that helps you minister to others. Because for those of you who have served in churches, many of you have served in the nursery, and it's by God's miracle that you're still doing it after 10, 20 years. Um, some of you who teach a Sunday school class been doing it 10, 20, 30 years. If it wasn't for God's energy working through you, you would have quit a long time ago. Amen? Some of you are like, you got that right. Um, the word power says the working of his power. Now, it's interesting. A few of our English words are translated. The word dynamic and the word dynamite come from the same word that we translate it. But I would say God's power is a lot stronger than dynamite. I would say God's word is more dynamic than anything we could, we could realize. So if you're kind of feeling like you're in a spiritual slump, if you become a grace dispenser and you allow God's grace to work through you, 
Um, look back in verse number 7. It says, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace given to me by the effective working of his power. So if God has given you grace and his grace has flown through you, just allow it to continue to flow. Allow him to continue to allow you to be a minister of grace. So I want you to write in your notes, I am a grace dispenser. I'm, I dispense grace to everyone around me. Number three, Jesus desires all people everywhere to have a personal relationship with himself. So it's really amazing to think about the world and, you know, we think about over seven billion people, all the different nationalities, all the different countries, all the different tribes and cultures. And when you read verses three through six, when it talks about this mystery and um, Warren Wiersbe says this mystery is like a, a sacred secret. It's something that we just don't really fully understand and comprehend. But the mystery is that Jew and Gentile are together in one body. The mystery is that God brings us near to him. Let me give you some reference scriptures. First Timothy 2, 4. It says that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, we know that's God's desire, but we all have a free will and God will not force himself on anyone. So, but the good news is, as you share the gospel, as you share the love of Christ with others, realize God's heart's desire is he wants everybody to receive Jesus. Amen. Second Peter 3, 9, it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but he's long suffering towards all of us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So as a minister of the gospel, this is encouraging to me that whoever I talk to is someone that Jesus really wants to have a relationship with. And if we will think about that and that that will begin to to change the way people experience things. I was listening to a podcast by John Burke, and um, he's a Christian pastor in Austin, Texas, and he became became fascinated with. Uh, near-death experiences. And uh, part of what brought this about is his father died really unexpectedly when he was a young man. And um, he began to read books about people who had near-death experiences, but they didn't fully cross over. They were just on, on the hinges. And he began to look at Scripture and see how a lot of these experiences lined up with Scripture. And part of what, what he said that mesmerized me is that people that didn't fully cross over, but they were near death, Many of them would say they just, when they experienced the love of God, it was just this amazing warmth. And it was like a place where they didn't want to leave. And the grass was this iridescent green that was full of light. And just, they didn't really have words to explain what the other side looked like. And, you know, the Apostle Paul said that he got a glimpse of the third heaven and he couldn't even talk about it. It was so, so amazing. And as I read that, I began to think that, you know, God really wants people not to miss out on heaven. He's created this beautiful place. It's real. And it's far beyond our wildest dreams. It's Imagine the greatest day of your life multiplied by infinity. That's how heaven is. So when I read verses like, by revelation, this mystery has been known. And that word, verse 6, Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. See, the beauty of this is we have this opportunity to be followers of Jesus, no matter what your background, no matter what your nationality. Jesus 
Christ came for everybody. Amen. So the heart of God is for you to be close to his heart. Aren't you glad that God loves you so? Number four, God's grace flows to you so that it can flow through you. Look at verse eight. To me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So I want you to see Paul's life. What's beautiful here. When Paul first became a Christian, and the reference, uh, what I'm going to quote is Acts 13:9. He said he was the least of the apostles, which is, you know, kind of a small group, right? And in this passage, he says he's the least of what? The saints. In 1 Timothy, at the end, towards the end of his ministry, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says that he was the chief of sinners. So you see where, where he's going. As Paul progressed, he said, you know, I'm not worthy to be one of the apostles. As he grew in grace, he said, you know, I'm the least of the Christians. God's grace was enough to, to save me. And at the end of his life, when Paul understood grace even more fully, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. God saved a sinner such as me. And what that tells me is if, if you really want God to use you, there has to be a few things in, in place here. The first thing is God uses humble vessels. God generally doesn't like to use prideful people. Have you noticed that before? Usually a prideful person doesn't last very long. As I heard it said once before, whenever pride walks on the stage, God walks off the stage. So it's really hard. And that's something Satan is really good at. He's the master of pride and you know, part of his fall, as we read in the Old Testament, is he, he was prideful and wanted to be higher than God. And what does he tempt us to be? To be higher than we really think we should be. Did you guys know that Paul's name means little one or humble? That's the name he went by, you know, from Saul to Paul. And Paul, his name means little one. So he realized, I may be little in statue, I may be little, but God is big. So God likes to use a humble vessel. You know, another thing to think about is a willing vessel. Paul, as a Jew, could have said, I don't want to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I don't want to reach people who are unlike me. And don't we all struggle with that? You know, the Jonah syndrome. I don't want to go people over there. They're not like me at all. And even in the church, we could struggle with preferences or things that keep us back from other people. And may it never be said of us that we allow anything to hold us back from anyone, that we're in pursuit of everybody who is far from God. Amen. So have you realized the riches that we have in Christ? Look back at verse number nine, verse eight to nine. It says to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, the beautiful thing about this is the riches are so great in Christ, these spiritual riches. They're unsearchable. You can't really come to the end of it. Um, as we've talked about in this series, you know, some of the riches that we, we, we know about is we have a new family. We're now part of the family of God. Last week we said you were aliens and strangers, but now God has brought you near. You're part of his household. We have a new identity. Have you ever heard anybody that has that identity crisis? You know, a lot of people struggle with their identity, but if you know who you are in Christ doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you, right? Um, you have a new destiny. As I mentioned, heaven is so beyond what, what we could ever comprehend. And our language doesn't really do it justice of what, what's to come. 
But you know, God has a new destiny planned for us. And our life has purpose. So if God can get grace to you, He wants to get it through you. He wants you to allow the grace to flow. Number five, as we look at God's wonderful, glorious plan, God's plan is to put His glory on display through the church. Now, verses 10 and 11, as I commented in the beginning, these are verses I would encourage you to research because they're kind of mysterious. Look at verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom... Manifold means multicolored, multilayered. When you undo one layer, there's more wisdom. The multifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the what? Principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Did you know that you are being watched by angels in the spiritual realm? Does that kind of scare some of you? Like, whoa. So, here's the thing, and I have several references I'm going to reference to you guys, but angels are amazed by God's grace in your life. Did you know that? Because angels can't experience grace like you do. The, the perfect angels don't need forgiveness. And for whatever reason, the fallen angels, because they were in perfection with God, they fell, they don't get a second chance like we do. Don't ask me to explain that. I don't really know in the mind of God. But humans are the only ones who have a chance at redemption. Angels don't, the ones that fell. So angels, both the ones in heaven and the fallen angels, they don't fully comprehend God's grace. I mean, they're still learning. If you realize angels are finite beings, they don't know everything. So just like we're learning, they're also learning. Let me give you a few references about angels. Luke 15.10, it says there's, there's rejoicing in the presence of an angel when a lost person comes home. So in other words, there's a party in heaven anytime someone gets saved. Angels are rejoicing. Um, angels watch over the affairs of local churches. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 9, or 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9. Uh, when you look at 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9, it gives instructions about worship and it says, do this because of the angels. And you're like, what? Well, angels are watching. They're learning from us. Angels are amazed at our salvation and the work of God in our life. If you'd write down 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, it talks about the salvation that the prophets spoke of and God has revealed. And listen to this phrase. It talks about preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And then most of you are familiar with the verse, and I believe it's Hebrews 12, where it says, don't forget to entertain strangers. Because some have entertained angels unawares. So isn't that, isn't that amazing that God's grace is so amazing in some ways so mysterious that even angels are looking on and learning? So I think there could be another application that some scholars have pointed out. When it talks about the mystery and the angels are watching, you think maybe Satan was tricked, or maybe not tricked is the right word, maybe Satan didn't know about the church? Do you think Satan had any, any clue about Jew and Gentile being one body? Because see, Satan is not all-knowing either. So some scholars have pointed out that probably Satan had no clue that God was going to unite Jew and Gentile into one body. The mystery. And see, for us, 2,000 years removed, we're like, okay, whatever, big deal. Well, here, here, here's the way it looks like today. Imagine every nation, tribe, and tongue coming together and getting along in Christ. 
Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture? Many people have said 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in the world. But it shouldn't be that way. Because all the walls have broken down and we are one body in Christ. Amen? All right, I've got to pick it up a little bit. Number six. God wants to talk to you today, tomorrow, and forever. Verse 12, it says, In whom, talk about in Christ, we have what? Boldness. Aren't you glad that you could approach the most powerful person? You can approach the Father with boldness. And we have access. Many of us don't have access to the very influential, famous people. But you know what? You have access to the most influential one in the universe, God the Father. With confidence, not because you're anything, but because you're in Christ through faith in Jesus. I read this. I thought it was really good. Imagine if God could write us a letter. This is kind of the theme. It says, I am God. Today I will be handling all your problems. Please remember that I do not need your help. If the devil happens to deliver a situation that you cannot handle, do not attempt to resolve it. Kindly put it in the SFJTD, something for Jesus to do box. It will be addressed in my time, not yours. Once a matter is placed into the box, do not attempt to remove it or resolve it. Holding on to it or removing it will delay the resolution to your problems. If a situation that you think you're capable of handling, please consult me in prayer before you do something. Make sure that's a proper resolution. All of us said, ouch. Because I do not sleep, nor do I slumber, there is no need for you to lose any sleep. Rest, my child. If you need to contact me, I am only a prayer away. I thought that was really meaningful. Number seven, glorious promise. And this will really speak to some of you where you're at. Temporarily earthly trials, temporary earthly trials can lead to eternal heavenly rewards. Notice, where's Paul at? He's in prison, right? He says, therefore I ask, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. So here's the thing. What you're going through right now has a purpose. Even though it may not seem like it does, even though your, your health issue, your financial issue, your relational issue, you're like, why? God can use all things in your life. I'm going to give you an example from World War II. Many of you know about the, uh, the Nazi concentration camps. And Ravensbrück was one of the worst German concentration camps. And many of you are familiar with Corrie ten Boone. She was in there with her sister, sister Betsy. And they didn't really know why, what God was doing. You know, They were believers in the Lord, didn't know what Jesus was doing, why. And to make matters worse, not only were they in the worst concentration camp, but where they were staying in their barracks, it was infested with fleas. How many of you would like to be in that situation? Concentration camp, fleas all over the place. And Corey and Betsy noticed that the soldiers stopped coming into their barracks, and they didn't know why, because they were having Bible study. You know, the Nazis, they thought, would you know, stop the Bible study, but they, they stopped coming in. And eventually they found out the reason why the soldiers didn't come in was because of the fleas. They didn't want to catch the fleas. And there was a situation between Corey and Betsy where Betsy was saying, in everything give thanks. And Corey's like, how can we give thanks for fleas? And then when they saw it later on, they realized that the fleas were actually a barrier of protection keeping the bad guys out. 
So what you're going through now, you may not realize, but you know what? God has a plan. And when I read Ephesians, and even I was talking to my Sunday school class, some of these passages are kind of complicated, right? Breaking down certain words, but the essence is this, and this is your take-home truth if you look on your outline. God's glorious plan is too good to keep a secret anymore. It used to be a mystery, but now it's revealed. His plan is too good to keep a secret. Here's a challenge. This week, why don't you not just invite someone, but bring someone to church. Invite them out to lunch and focus on someone that's far from God. Notice that we talked about in the text, our job, if we've been forgiven and we've been rescued, our job is to be on rescue for others. And we've learned that all around us are so many people that need the love of God. So that's our challenge to all of us. Find someone that needs forgiveness and invite them out. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. Your word is true. Father, help us to get the message of truth and the message of the gospel out. And Father, those of us who have been rescued, I pray that you help us to go on a rescue mission for others. And God, we've talked about a lot of interesting scripture, about even the angels are amazed at God's grace. So God, help us to also be amazed. Help us not to just to lose the wonder of how good you are and how great you are. If there be one here today that has never received God's grace, right where you're at, just call upon his name. Say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need to receive your grace. I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose again. And Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. And Father, my prayer for us who are the church, no matter what we're going through, help us to be amazed at your grace. And help us not to keep it a secret anymore how amazing you are. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time we're going to have the hymn of response. If you have a decision to make, Adam and I will be at the front. We'd love to pray for you. If you'd please stand.